is the Global Orders podcast. We are part of an ERC research project called Challenging the Liberal World Order from Within, the Invisible History of the United Nations and the Global South. We're based at the Institute of History at Leiden University. And I'm Lydia Walker, joined today by Felipe Cola de Amorin, one of our PhD scholars. So, Felipe. Hi. Um, before you came here, uh, you were working on, you were working as a journalist. Uh, you were also working on reports for Brazil's National Truth Commission. And uh, what kind of connections have come from the, your past uh, work and, uh, and are now uh, taking fruit in or growing uh, in uh, your current scholarship? Well, hello. Uh, and uh, yeah, f f to start, I, th I think I have a, a, a pretty late arrival in the field of history and uh, which which has its pros and its cons, its cons but uh, in the good side, I think I, I, I come from this jur journalism background and uh, I think I was always drawn to the, you know, to the attachment to the sources. And I think this is what I try to bring as, a, as, as having worked as a journalist, as also as a researcher for the, for the National Truth Commission, the importance of the sources, and especially in the context of the National Truth Commission, in Brazil, in, uh, which investigates Brazil, uh, Brazil's past history with uh, dictatorship, uh, the access to sources was a really important issue because you know the military uh, uh, organizations would would always uh, try to hamper you know researchers' access to archives. So and uh, and we I think for the time that I, sp I spent over there, uh, which we were really uh, we were trying to investigate the the business connections from business important business groups with the, the military regime. Uh, having access to, to to the archives was a major question. And so I think uh, uh, this started, uh, uh, this attention to the sources, it was uh, led me to, you know, uh, being more interested in history. Uh, this is what I try to, you know, to bring to this. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating how um, the source spaces themselves are not neutral, are constructed, and also having access to them is uh, part of contested political histories. We take, can't take them for granted. And uh, being a journalist, of course, you know, you're always thinking about standard of evidence uh, and uh, who your sources are, how you get access to them, uh, and then, of course, the ethics of those uh, negotiations. I, in some ways, I would think that journalists are almost more cognizant of this than historians who can start to think that uh, documents are neutral um, when they're not. So um, can you tell us a bit about the project you're developing mm -hmm. uh, as part of the Invisible History team, uh, which focuses on issues of economic sovereignty and uh, Latin America in uh, international forums? Yeah, so, um, and this I think is interesting because during the time that I was, was doing work uh, for the National Truth Commission, one of the things that uh, we were uh, really interested in was this, uh, like, uh, these moments of uh, uh, nationalization of, uh, especially 
US-owned enterprises in, in Brazil and also in elsewhere in Latin America. And, and once you, you really took a look of it, y you can really uh, draw some chronological parallels between these moments of, you know, uh, uh, foreign economic pressure and, you know, pressure coming from Washington and from the, the, the right-wing part of the national governments in Latin America and, you know, the, the coups, military coups that were happening uh, uh, in Latin America. And these things, like, is being... Uh, uh, it's been accompanying my my trajectory for the last I know maybe seven or to eight years, and uh, it was actually the the point the starting point for me to think about the the EVZ history project. You know, why we were uh, 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 why is it possible to have this uh, you know uh, enormous pressure coming out to national governments and uh, and how. Uh, this issue of uh, uh, having sovereignty over national resources was pitched at the UN, but also uh, how it uh, uh, developed in, in the internal contests. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting, especially how uh, economic questions become uh, the way you're targeting uh, the sort of structures and organizations of the United Nations when, you know, Conventionally, uh, people really focus on issues of peace and security. Uh, I mean, you've kind of answered this a little bit with uh, talking about the role of corporations, uh, sort of U.S. empire, um, its, uh, its contested connections with authoritarian regimes in Latin America. But um, why the focus on economic issues? Yeah, this is... Uh I think you're very accurate to to point out that uh, issues relating to peace and security are often more drag more public attention, and if it, this is true for you know public uh, uh, attention towards global governance and the UN, it is it is also a similar uh, picture uh, that I can see for especially the, the Brazilian national historiographical context and especially towards. Uh, you know the more recent period and the dictator, the dictatorship in Brazil. We have uh, in in uh, our historiographical narrative has really extensive knowledge about violence and persecution and uh, uh, forced disappearance and you know torture and which are uh, major issues and uh, it's completely understandable that these are the first issues that arise in a histor in historical you know investigation of an immediate past but i think that sometimes it also uh, uh, it, it it can also i'm, I'm missing a word here but it ca it can also distract us it's distract is not the the the, the accurate uh, word but uh, we sometimes are are lead to think that uh, the dictator the dictatorship and military authoritarianism was all about violence but uh, uh, they were also about uh, planning and um, these issues of you know uh, what the dictatorship and the military authoritarianism was were planning uh, really lags behind the uh, you know this more uh, uh, you know grotesque uh, violent uh, context so i think this is this is what uh, uh interests me the most that trying to understand how you know this uh, uh, authoritarian governments uh, built themselves and uh, uh, uh constituted uh, like a conscious planning to do 
the things that they eventually ended up doing in different countries in in Latin America and uh, I think this brings also to the the focus especially these Im more immediate focus on economic uh, projects for economic sovereignty uh, in the in the hemispherical context I think that it will eventually lead to other types of connections with other kinds of issues especially human rights and also you know decolonization and uh, uh, but the immediate uh, idea is to have a more uh, a more comprehensive understanding uh, of uh, you know uh, what were these governments in, in this post post second world war uh, contest planning to do and uh, how they 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 build the the projects and uh, what and what does it mean in in different scales of uh, you know uh, uh, regional global and local uh, relationships yeah here i think it's really interesting because one aspect of your work that is uh, absolutely crucial is uh, different levels of analysis uh, we're talking about particular authoritarian governments or not always authoritarian governments but particular governments in latin america the hemispherical level uh, the with, as in the regional level and then the international level and also transnational between uh, particular countries. Can you give us an example of how an issue sort of moves through those different scales? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was talking about the, uh, uh, this phenomenon of uh, uh, governments, like nationalistic governments uh, claiming uh, uh, nationalization and sovereignty rights over you know uh, uh, multinational and foreign enterprises in their own countries and uh, this was actually an important agenda in the united nations uh, uh, throughout the 50s and uh, and in, in the beginning of the 60s that was called the permanent sovereignty over national resources and the latin american diplomats uh, at the un were really an important source for this agenda to you know get traction and and you know and so this is the global level and and here we get also connections with uh, you know uh, recently decolonized uh, movements in other parts of the global south that were were also in very interested in claiming so economic sovereignty over you know the the past uh, uh, colonial contest so we have some kind of you know uh, 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 global south connection here at the global level and and but these issues have like an intermediate level in the hemispherical arena and they you know uh, they they and they change a lot how and how they are pitched in different forums and how they appear and uh, you get you know border uh, uh, contests between uh, neighboring countries like shared resources and uh, so this is how it's it appears in the in in a different arena and then we have the local and domestic level which and i think it's really really interesting trying to understand how you know governments in latin america were able to formalize an agenda you know to pitch uh, to the world uh, that they had the right to you know to expropriate uh, given certain conditions to expropriate a foreign you know a company and resources but they would never like do this especially with issues regarding to land uh, uh, movement uh, to land uh, uh, land reforms that were also you know uh, uh, trying to to get traction from below so i think you have like this issue of 
sovereignty rights and property rights that play out in different ways in these three different levels and i'm i'm trying i'm gonna try to explore this and see how they uh, they manifest in the archives uh speaking of how these kind of issues manifest themselves in the archives so a big theme of our entire project and also of this podcast is invisible histories and how we can make them visible and also what are the structures that have made them less visible um, because it's all very nice to think that there's a missing document and you're going to find that missing document and it's going to be a smoking gun. It's going to answer some sort of uh, grand question that had always been unanswered. Uh, who killed Dag Hammarskjöld, for instance? <laughs> but um, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, we have, if anything, on the United Nations, we have so much documentary evidence um, but at the same time, uh, there's, there's a lot of figures, particularly uh, individuals and um, events that happen in non-Western contexts that don't get the, their rightful due. Is there a particular example that um, you've either found in your research or motivates uh, your current scholarship? Yeah, definitely. But before, before I jump to that, uh, I, I just think that this is what we're talking at the beginning about the you know the fascination of going to the archives this is also like a really uh it's a really fascinating issue also when you get to the archives you this is like the best part of being a scholar for sure and uh, you get surprised by the archives and it's, it's important also to be there physically because not that you're gonna find a smoking gun and to answer a big important unanswered question for you know decades but you can you know maneuver your way in the archives you you, you it's important for you to understand how it's organized and and where you know where you you've gone maybe find things and where you're not so you know so this is uh, going to the archives i think it's really a fascinating and any like important thing but coming back to the invisible history uh, i think i uh, i can uh, uh, maybe think about the case of the the workers the car the workers the brazilian workers in the uh, in the volkswagen company uh, uh, in this in the 60s and 70s which is i think it, it's uh, it fits this description of some some kind of an invisible history because uh, they were prosecuted by the by the uh, by the company organization that was in in a very close relationship and collaboration with the military repression in Brazil, and uh, they were part of you know blacklists of uh, of of workers that wouldn't be able to if if they unionized they were targeted if they were a member of uh, you know opposition parties they were targeted and they couldn't find jobs and uh, and uh, they were at times they were also you know uh, uh, arrested inside the car assembly inside the plant tortured inside the the the, the Volkswagen's uh, plant in the 60s and, and 70s and uh, and this issue you know uh, it's, it's been a long way and uh, like uh, last year in, two, in two, 2020 finally the you know the, the the prosecutor office in brazil reached an agreement with uh, uh, and uh, with the volkswagen company you know and in which uh, the collective uh, uh, workers you know uh, 
victims and their families they organized themselves they were able to you know pitch their story to the uh, to the uh, national truth commission which gave a lot of uh, emphasis in this economic uh, um, complicity this part of the brazilian uh, authoritarianism and uh, so you can see like how how these issues were building from below the the victims organized themselves and then they they tried to do many things but finally the, the national truth commission arrived which gave them you know this truth trials opportunities to to you know bring their story to a, a larger audience and then uh, 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 it eventually reached the final agreement but it's taken so long and uh, like decades for for them to be able to be finally recognized that they were a target of something and uh so i think this is one of the things that uh, i think uh yeah and the importance of commissions and uh whether it's uh you know the national truth commission in brazil uh sort of the various uh Truth and Reconciliation Committee um, Commission with uh, the end of apartheid in South Africa and the role sort of the uh, international community often plays in, uh, if not literally setting them up, that's not the case in Brazil, but in uh, in sort of the whole, f the formulation of this as a mechanism for in some ways telling what had been pre previously been uh, invisible histories is I think incredibly important for uh, moving forward. Yeah, definitely, and uh, uh, and also to be able, you know, to uh, to maneuver some uh, juridical uh, uh, end spots that, for instance, the amnesty laws in uh, different countries in in, in in especially in the solar cone, but in, in Latin America, you know, they blocked every attempt of investigation and uh, prosecution and uh, in brazil we still have like an amnesty law that is valid and, uh, and uh, like uh, accepted by brazil supreme court as and uh, like crimes can be investigated like torturers can be prosecuted so the truth commission also created a forum for all these issues to be discussed in different manner and uh, and, and when they were discussed in this different manner, it also, uh, you know, uh, pressured the company itself to, you know, be part of this process and try to make it in, in some sort of positive way and, or at least a collaborative way. And uh, yeah, and uh, I think the importance of the, the two commissions are uh, also a bit of this. And uh, I, I keep remembering of this Hannah and a uh, quote uh, and uh, in 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 Eichmann's trial and when she said that uh, everybody should have like a court day and i think this is the most important thing in the national truth commission you know that uh, people get to speak their stories and uh, and uh, this is uh, this is not enough but it is also a big thing well, thank you so much, Felipe. Um, this is really important to think about uh, national and international forms of justice and the relationship between authoritarianism, labor, and who gets their day in court and how we sort of create those spaces for that to happen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lydia. It was a pleasure.